Each spring, Pensacola Christian College hosts the Enrichment Retreat designed for pastors, ministry leaders, and church staff to enjoy a time of rest and to be refreshed by the Word of God. Today's message was from a past Enrichment Retreat keynote speaker. Visit enrichmentretreat.com for details or to learn more about the upcoming retreat. Philippians chapter 4, please, with me in your Bible. Philippians chapter 4. Now, I, I noticed when I was sitting down there that, um, that I, I went offline, that my electronic device somehow went offline. So, <laughs> so I need to, the batteries wore out or something like that, so I need to redo this. T-H-O-U-G-H-T, thought, emotion. <laughs> you, know, you know, the worst thing in the world would be, to, that's all misspelled. You're, you're making me tense. <laughs> and behavior. I want to reference this, and, and really you have it all memorized. I want to reference this. Some people have pointed out, uh, really the triangle, you can legitimately put arrows on each of these, understanding that it doesn't just go this way, it can go the other way as well. But I think everything begins fundamentally in our thinking, okay? When a person engages in bad behavior, that promotes more bad thinking. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? And then that prom- and it, it becomes a cycle in a person's life, okay? So the idea is to get control of this cycle. The cycle is be- verified in Scripture. The idea is to get control of it in order to have peace in your life. Now, um, think on these things. You, ex- you know exactly where I'm going. Look what the Bible says. Finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now I want you to notice something. That's not an option. It's a command. It also assumes that you have the ability to control your thinking. As a Christian, you have even more of an ability to do this because of the Holy Spirit who lives within, who can empower you in obedience to the Word of God. Um, And right away, someone says, Pastor Money, I know exactly what you're going to do. You're going to go through that laundry list of things we need to think about. I'm not doing that. I'm only going to cover one of them this morning. But peace, peace itself, having peace of mind, uh, I think we said before, is not a passive experience. Very interesting. Look at verse number 5 of chapter 4. Very interesting. Let your moderation, you know that means self-control. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. Filled with care or anxious, be careful for nothing. But notice this, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. And then, after you have obeyed, the peace of God comes. Does everyone see that? Peace is not passive. I think so many times Christians are mystical to the point of having welfare mentality with how God is going to deal with them from a mental standpoint. Well, Pastor Monty, if if God really loved me, he would just bathe me in peace. Not if I'm refusing to obey the Scripture. That's something I'm trying to point out. The pathway to peace, the pathway to overcoming anxiety, the pathway to defeating depression, it is in the pages of the Bible, but, but now listen... You have to do what the Bible says. Uh, When I was going through a very difficult time in the last year, I'm a simple-minded person. 
I need something practical. It has to be practical. I have to, if you give me some big pie-in-the-sky theological theory, it doesn't mean anything to me. But if it's practical, if I can wrap my brain around it, which is it's a bit of a stretch because my, uh, my, my waist is way bigger than my brain. If I, can wrap, if I can wrap my brain around it and then I can take practical steps... I will do those things, okay? It has to be something that is practical to me. So as I was putting this together and thinking about this and learning this myself, I came to understand that God is not a heavenly uh, Xanax and that I had to take complete control of my thinking. But I had to do that chiefly because the Bible says so. Now, pastors, let me give you a challenge. Go to the book of Philippians. Just isolate the book of Philippians do a study on how many times in Philippians God talks about our thoughts and our mind. It is a major theme. So, so Pastor Monty, the theme of the book of Philippians is joy. It is. But how do you get there? The building block of joy is how I'm thinking. And that is a sub-theme of the whole book of Philippians. It's a, it's a major concept. And, and so understand peace is not passive. Understand this, you alone control your thoughts. Now, there are counselors, there are some uh, medical advisors, we call them psychologists. They can help teach a person this, but fundamentally they can't do it for you. I've been dealing with a particular individual in a different state who regularly sees a psychologist. And this person, I said, well, do you do what the person says? And they kept talking, talking, talking. By what they're telling me, they don't. They still allow their mind to run crazy. Now, now, now follow me. Sitting here and listening to what I'm saying is not going to cure you. It's not even going to help you unless you do it. Well, Pastor Ronnie, you know, I've got my problems are so deep I'm going to go see a shrink. That's fine. Okay, if you see the right kind and Christian, Christian, be, you know, be Christian about it. Don't be heathen. <clears throat> Stop being heathen, all of you. Uh, but but if that's not going to help. You're going to pay $80 an hour or more. And if you just go to how Pastor Money, I feel so good because I talked to that person. It's not the feel-good moment we're looking for. It is, am I learning biblical principles to corral and control the way that I think? That's, the, the change comes not from listening to me. The change comes from doing the things that the Bible says. We want to really, really emphasize that. So personal peace comes when we learn to discipline our thoughts biblically. Okay, now, uh, what do I do? I remember we taught this in the first session. We think about our thoughts. So we capture them, Scripture, 2 Corinthians 10. We capture the thought. We confront it. Is it biblical? Is it right? We decide, should we refuse the thought or should we reframe or change the thought? Now, Now, by the way, in fundamental circles, we've been doing this for years. Because here's what we say. We say, you young people, and you older people too, you ought not to have dirty thoughts. Stop your dirty thinking. We do that all the time, don't we? Uh, But that's we've limited it to that. We just say, don't think dirty thoughts. We've limited it to that, when in reality, the whole emphasis of the Bible is on something much larger. It's on all of our thinking. Notice what Paul says in verse 8. It's, it's, a, it's a grocery list on many, many things. Things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely. All of those things, okay? Not just the purity aspect, but everything in order to come to a point of personal peace. Now, if I challenge my thought... 
my thoughts need to line up with Scripture. Look at verse number 8. Let's read the first part together. I'll tell you when to stop. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are... Stop. What was the word? What was the word? Okay, there is a reason that this word comes first. Many of us spend much of our thought life time in violation of this first principle. Oh, well, you know, but Pastor Monty, you know, I'm not thinking about cheating anybody. I'm not thinking about, you know, things. I, I tend to think about things that are true. You would be surprised. The truth of the matter is this. I think I mentioned Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. At the very least, we know that Satan has some level of access to the mind. Who is Satan? He is a liar, and what's the next words? The father of it, okay? Now, now watch. One of his goals is to plant a lie. The first thing he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is he planted a lie, and he did so subtly. It, it, it wasn't right out front. He worked it in in a subtle manner. He made the lie appealing to Eve. Well, if you eat of this fruit, <coughs> you shall be as gods, and you'll know something. You'll know the difference between good and evil. Isn't that great? But yet it was promoting disobedience. It was a very subtle lie. Whether it is sourced in ourselves, which I think frequently it is, or in some kind of demonic influence, the mind tends to sometimes ponder to ruminate over things that are not true. Now, Jesus said, thy word is truth. The best place to meditate is the Bible. But I want to follow something because there's a subtlety to this. Whatsoever things are true, many of us, myself included, have spent countless hours of mental time pondering things that are not true. And I'm going to reveal some of those to you for the purpose of your being able to capture the thought and confront it and then refuse any thought that is not true. So let's talk about three particular areas. Number one, number one, beware of intuition. Beware of intuition. Intuition, you say, Pastor Monty, what is that? The supposed ability to predict an outcome or to read into a situation Things that are not there. Now, now pause with me. Ladies, we gentlemen have a great respect for womanly intuition. Guys, your wife sees things that you don't see, okay? You go bumbling through life about two steps ahead of a brute beast. Your wife is a lot more thoughtful, and she can see things that you cannot see. But whether you're a man or a woman misused intuition can cause incredible anxiety in our lives. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Um, intuitive people. And by the way, have you ever done the personality test? How many have done the 16 personalities? I, I did that. I did that test. It's really interesting. It, it's really, really interesting. You get this little, uh, I think I'm an ENFP, I think is what I am. I think that means that I'm an extrovert and I'm this and that and the other thing. Okay. I, I, and, and it's really interesting. You do it for free online. And the neatest part is it tells you after it analyzes your personality, it tells you what famous person you are most like which I think is awesome. It tell, what is the... Pastor Monty, who is your famous person? Well, give, give me, someone give me a guess. Who's my famous person? Anyone know? 
Come on. Don't be shy. Donald Trump. Ooh, have I received a compliment today? I don't know what Donald Trump, I think he's off the charts, <laughs> the personality <laughs> scale. Um, anyone else have an idea? Oprah. <laughs> Oprah. Woo! Boy, I went from sailing to sinking, like, like super quickly, super quickly. I was excited about my famous person, <laughs> and you young people don't even know who this is. My famous person that I'm the most like, Carol Burnett. Do you remember? You remember Dr. Atkins, yeah. Yeah, she was a really funny comedian. But anyway, anyway um, part, of, part of my personality, though, says that I'm an intuitive person. An intuitive person reads between the lines, or we read into words and circumstances. In other words, we kind of fill in the blank. Intuitive people do that. But, Pastor Money, that's just a mark of intelligence. It can be useful at times. But as I've captured my intuitive thoughts, my filling in the blank, my reading between the lines, and then analyzed the result later, I have found that probably 90% of the time, my intuition is dead wrong. Okay, let let me give you an an illustration of this. I I did this a few weeks ago in preaching. I was preaching about something. Our church, we're we're not Calvinistic. We're not Calvinistic. We're not Calvinistic. We're not going to be Calvinistic. In fact, if you join my church... The pastor in the interview will ask you, do you hold to Calvinistic doctrine? If you say yes, you're not joining my church, okay? I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to have that problem in the congregation, okay? Be a soul winner, you're welcome. Be a Calvinist, go somewhere else. There's plenty of them out there. So that's just my stand. By the way, we also ask if you're a Democrat or a Republican. You can't vote Democrat and join my church because we're against abortion, and the Democratic platform is pro-abortion. Okay, I'm just saying I'm going to be consistent. Is that okay if I be consistent? I can be consistent, okay? We're the most conservative church in Henrix County. But anyway, so, so we, we, we have some of these things. Um, uh, what was I even talking about? Okay, <laughs> it's, too, it's too early in the morning. So um, we, have some of these, we have some of these things for, for joining, but I, I'm, I'm not a Calvinist. Okay, so the other day I was preaching about something, and, um, and I got on... Somehow I just got on to Calvinism, which probably meant I didn't study, and so I just got on to Calvinism. So you can I always tell when a Baptist preacher, when a Baptist preacher hasn't studied for a sermon, he bashes the Catholics. It's that kind of thing. Okay, so, uh, so I was preaching about Calvinism. There was a guy in my church, good guy, good guy. And he was sitting there, and he was sitting there just like this, doing one of these. Now, you preachers know what I'm talking about. And he had the most cross look on his face. And I thought... In my mind, I'm preaching, and I'm thinking, I didn't know he was a Calvinist. He said, Pastor Monty, did you back off? (laughs) No, 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 no. I went further down the road because I thought I really had something. You know, I thought I, finally I had a nibble on the end of my line. You know, I'm not letting that fish go. So, boy, I just preached, and the more I preached about it, he just just was looking grumpy and looking at And I thought, wow, he's just really upset, but I was surprised because I thought I didn't know he would hold to that kind of thing. And, and then, then later, I'm leaving the auditorium, and I overhear him talking to one of my assistant pastors, and he said, Pastor Morris, he said, I, I need to see you right away. And I thought, oh boy, oh boy, if you don't have the courage to come talk to me, you're going to go talk to him, okay? And, and so later, and I was convinced, I was saying, this man is furious with my preaching, because I was reading, I, hey, I can read my audience, and I know he was torqued. I called Pastor Morris later on. Pastor Morris, Gary must be a Calvinist, isn't he? 
Pastor Moore says, what are you talking about, preacher? I said, oh, I said, he was angry. He was angry through the whole sermon. I could just tell. I said, and he wanted to talk to you, so they're probably leaving the church, right? And Pastor Moore said, no. What are you talking about? I said, well, you talked to him after the service. He said, yeah, I did. I, he had a horrible day at work. He works in a Christian ministry. It got really rough. He had a horrible day. He said he wanted encouragement. He was angry and upset and hurt because of something that happened at work. Now, may I tell you something? My whole brilliant intuition, okay, brilliant intuition, my whole brilliant intuition had completely misread the whole thing, had redirected my sermon, had worked me up emotionally. Does everybody follow what I'm saying here? And it caused me great concern. And, and here's why. I had this whole thing going on in my brain, and it was not true. There's the bottom line. I came up with this intuitive thing, and I was certain, I, boy, I've nailed this one this time. It simply was not true. How many times do we as pastors confront a grumpy church member and we read into it something negative? Or, or let's say this, some family left the church for some reason, and then you notice there's another family that missed two Sundays. You're assuming they're out with the other family when they were really on vacation, Honest truth. Let's be honest as pastors. How many have done this? Uh Uh-huh. Look at, look at. And do you know what it does? It eats us alive inside. It gets us all, like, like pushed to the edge. Well, these people don't appreciate my ministry. I I think I'm just going to quit next. I'm I'm done. I'm going to resign. No, no. It's not they don't appreciate it. They went on vacation. (laughs) Okay? You go on vacation, too. But you work it up in your mind. And I do this. I do this. I came to discover something. Here, you write this one down. If it hasn't happened, it isn't true. <laughs> okay, okay. That's really, now see, I told you this is going to be simple-minded, okay? If it hasn't happened, it isn't true. So here's what my wife does, because you know, your wife is your confidant. Whenever I start down one of these intuitive trails now, Kelly is alert to that. And, and Kelly says, well, she says, you don't know that to be true, and then, when, by the way, when she says that, I think, okay, now here comes an argument. <laughs> Pastor Monty, do you back down? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Nothing better for a marriage than a good fuss, a good blow-up sometimes. Because so, you get to make up afterwards, so, you know, you know. But um, um, the, your mind didn't need to go there. <laughs> what sort of things are pure, folks, okay? Not going to get to that one, but stop. It's too early for all of this, so... If it hasn't happened, it isn't true. Boy, I have really had to discipline myself as a pastor for that. See, as a pastor, we're also watching out for the flock, aren't we? We're looking and we're, we're, we're tending the flock. We're concerned about the flock. But rather than ruminate over speculation, okay? Because can, can I just say this? Speculation is not true. Rather than using our intuition to prognosticate, and predict future outcomes. Rather than working it all up, we need to stop and ask ourselves, do I know this to be absolutely true? Do I know it? And if I don't know it to be true, 
then I need to not think about it because I don't know that it passes the Bible test. Is everybody following what I'm saying here? So, so then I need to refuse that thought. I need to say I'm not going to consider that thought. Um, every, every once in a while, this happens to pastors. This happens to you guys. I know because it happens to me. Um, you know, everything's going along swimmingly well and beautiful. The birds are singing. The sun is shining. Everything is lovely. And the angels are singing the hallelujah chorus. And then you get a phone call. And it's a phone call from a member of the church. Pastor Monty, I, I need to meet with you. Okay, when? Well, as soon as possible. And there's an eagerness to the tone of, of, of their voice. And so you set an appointment. And then you know what you do, pastors? You worry about it. Oh, oh well, now wait a minute. <laughs> Pastor Monty, I'm too spiritual to worry. <laughs> yeah, I've been in the ministry for 30 years, okay? I don't know if there's a spiritual pastor out there. I've been in the ministry too long. And uh, <laughs> we, we all worry. And so we think about this appointment and then we think about what it could be. And you run over in your mind, oh, you know, last Sunday, boy, I did preach on that, and maybe they took it wrong. You run that over in your mind. And, you run, and every possibility you run over in your mind. And every, you go through the whole course of your recent connection and, and fellowship with those people. You comb through it in detail to come up with what is the issue. And then you have the meeting. And you were dead wrong most of the time. But look at all the anguish you put yourself through. By the way, here is something that I'm doing now to prevent that from happening. When someone calls wanting an appointment, whether they call my secretary or they call me, I will say to that person, uh, yes, we can meet at 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning. What are we going to be talking about? And if the person says, well, I want to wait, I want to wait until I can see you face to face, I will say no. I'm polite. I will say no. I'll say I need to know what is the topic so that I can be thinking about it and praying about it. And so if they, I'll say, just tell me in general. Well, our marriage. Okay. It's it's only their marriage falling apart. They're not leaving. They're not leaving the church. Okay. Okay. So relieved. It's just another marriage thing. You know. You know, you know this is true. You know this is how you think, okay? You know, you know, oh, I'm so glad. At least we'll keep their tithe even if they divorce, you know. So it's all going to be okay. (laughs) Intuition, intuition is allowing myself to be mentally stirred over something that I do not fundamentally know to be the truth. And the best way to stave that off in somebody who's asking for an appointment is just say, what is the general topic we're going to be talking about? Intuition attempts to forecast the future, okay? Either the distant future or the immediate future, that produces care and anxiety. Now, in my next session, I'm going to deal much more with this little paradigm I'll give you, but, but suffice it to say, Matthew six thirty four, Jesus said, take no thought for the morrow. Didn't he say that? And then he said, for the morrow shall take thought concerning the things of itself. You know what that means? You don't have control over tomorrow. And then it says this, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Have you ever thought about that? So, you know what, what that's saying? Jesus said, there are enough problems right now, present, that are real, that you are aware of. Quit manufacturing more evil or more problems and prognosticating them and pushing them by your thinking into the future because you have enough to think about right now. That's important. Jesus taught, by the way, the end of Matthew chapter 6. We're going to go there in the next session. 
Jesus taught incredible principles about how I'm to think in order to have peace. And one of them is this, not to focus on things that are intuitive, not to focus on intuitive. All right, boy, I'm running out of time. Let's go to the next one quick. Next one, beware of intuition. Number two, beware of speculation, speculation. It's similar to intuition, but it takes it a step further. Speculation is what if thinking, what if thinking, Okay, um, I am am a sucker for insurance. I buy tons of insurance. I have things insured. I have, by the way, by the way, I have a million-dollar personal liability policy that covers every single possibility. You can sue me, and you can win up to a million dollars, and you'll never touch the 25000 that I have. You'll, you'll, you'll never, you'll, you'll, you can get a million dollars. By the way, if you want to sue me, sue me, but we'll split it back you know, later on, okay? We'll, we, can, we can work something out. I'm Italian. We can work all this out, okay, down the line. But, uh, but, but speculation is the what-if thinking. Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? F- folks, can I, can I tell you something? Stop it. Do you know why? If it hasn't happened, it's not true. So stop it, well, Pastor Monty, you know, a, a wise individual will look down into... No, I understand about preparation. I understand about things like that. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is this crazy way we think, well, what if this happens? And then if this happens, then this could happen. And if that happens, then... And you know what I do as a pastor? I'm like, well, what if they're really angry? Well, what if we get into an argument? Well, what, what if they leave the church? Well, if they leave the church, well, if they get into an argument, boy, I'm going to argue back. And I might bring up this, 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 and this. And then when I'm, but okay, what if they leave the church? Well, if they leave the church, then I'm going to need to do something to, to settle the church members over it. And so then I will say this, this, and this. And then if they say this, this, and this, then I'm going to say this, this, and this. How many have ever had this whole conversation in your mind? Yeah, this whole tense conversation that has never happened and isn't true. And it's all based upon speculation. What if, what if? How many know the little phrase... Cross the bridge when you come to it. Write that down. Cross the bridge when you come to it. I was so into what if thinking at a particular time in my life, and I was expressing it to a very close friend, that that close friend, and a close friend, by the way, is somebody who can, who can tell you straight up what your problem is, that close friend looked at me and he said, Preacher, you build bridges where there are no rivers. That was an Oprah Winfrey light bulb moment. You build bridges where there are no rivers. That's what if thinking. Speculation, it's pure speculation. What if is not true? Speculative people use their brain. By the way, how many in this room say, Pastor Monty, I am against trying to tell the future with a crystal ball? Raise your hand, okay? How many say, Pastor Monty, I'm against tarot cards, those tarot card things. I'm against going to a fortune teller. How many of you are all against that? I'm against reading tea leaves, whatever that means. Are you against it? (laughs) Yes, we're against it. Why do we use our brains the same way? Why do we pretend that this is a crystal ball through which we can see the future and we what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, and we're concentrating on speculative matters that simply are not true, and in doing that, we are violating the Bible. We're violating Scripture. Then the third one, and I need to be very quick here, beware of perception. Beware of perception. Well, Pastor Monty, I I interpret every circumstance correctly. No, you don't, because you are not God. 
Sometimes there is a world of difference between my perception of events and what is real. Now, God gave us the ability to perceive so that we can understand one another and communicate with one another. And God gave us a very fine-tuned ability to perceive. But sometimes we exaggerate our abilities of perception, our ability to interpret an event. Sometimes we exaggerate that, and all of a sudden when we do that, it produces a suspicious mind or paranoia. Here's what, here's what the whole verse 8 is all about. Um, let, may I be analog for a moment and rather than digital? I'm so much better at being analog. How many remember those beautiful old radios where you just used to turn the knob? Thank you, Dr. Pope. Thank you. We are so on the same wavelength. It's an old-fashioned telegraph wavelength, but we're on the same wavelength. And, and, and you would turn and you would hear a station faintly, but there was a lot of static. Remember that? But if you kept turning ever so slightly, you'd hit that station bingo, and then it would come in clear. This is what the Bible's teaching us, okay? Tune your brain to turn out, tune out the static and bring in the music. When I'm thinking about things that are true, I'm careful about how I perceive a certain set of circumstances. Or, or if I exaggerate, someone said, Pastor Monty, a lady said this to me in my church, oh, Pastor Monty, she just hates me. She just hates me. She, she absolutely, this lady absolutely despises me, this lady was saying. And I said, whoa. I said, we must have a real interpersonal problem. I said, I said call the lady by name. And I said, um, what, what, what happened? What happened? I'm thinking these ladies had a cat fight, a good old-fashioned cat fight. And, uh, and ladies like that, and they do that. And, 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 and she said, well, she said, she walked by me in church, and she gave me a dirty look. You have a perception problem, okay? Well, but, but, Pastor, you just wouldn't believe the look on her face. Maybe she had gas. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Perception is my interpretation of the past and the present, and I need to be very careful. A wrong perception, get over that, junior hires, get over that. <laughs> A wrong perception stems from difference, often in differences of personality. Listen to this. Here's my, my personality. I am happy, and I'm a big personality, and I express whatever is crossing my brain is coming out my mouth, and I'm a loose cannon, and I'm all of those things, and that's just who I am. And I love to be around people that are the same way. Blah, blah, blah. That's why I like Donald Trump. Blah, blah, blah. You know, just saying whatever, and just, you know, just this big picture thing. Wow, that's who I am. You know who I'm not? I'm not the precise, analytical, thoughtful, analysis-oriented person who needs an agenda and a list and a schedule. I'm not that person who is studiously sitting in the audience writing down and analyzing every Greek word that Dr. Pope presents to us so brilliantly, so brilliantly. I'm not that person People who are that way make me really nervous. Do you know what makes me nervous? Quiet people. Quiet people. People who are just quiet. They're, they're not talking. They're just quiet. And, and I have to fill that quiet void. And so I begin to tell stories. And when I run out of stories, I start confessing sins. It's horrible. Horrible. I move right into and, and And so I interpret that analytical person, that engineer mind, let's use that, the engineer mind, 
I interpret that person as, well, he, he never laughs at my jokes. He must just hate me. No, no, no. He, he doesn't laugh because he has a different personality. It's not that he hates me. He loves listening, but he's, he's responding differently. Does everybody follow what I'm saying here? It's not the guy that's the problem. It's my perception, and sometimes that is personality-based just a little bit. Um, understand this. Truth is objective. Truth is objective. Perception is subjective, okay? So avoid forming strong perceptions without convincing and hard evidence. I've had to learn to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, The human mind is naturally prone toward negative perception anyway. What I'm suggesting is don't create your own mental anguish by ruminating on things that are not true. Now, that is a wonderful agenda for my thinking, to only think about things that are true. I love this quotation. You could jot this down. He suffers more than necessary who suffers before it is necessary. Isn't that good? He suffers more than necessary who suffers before it is necessary. If it hasn't happened, it is not true. Stop thinking about it. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You've been listening to a message from the Pensacola Christian College Enrichment Retreat. You're welcome to pass this message along to others, but we ask that you do not charge for it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. If you're a pastor or ministry leader, join us for the next Enrichment Retreat and experience a time of physical rest and spiritual refreshment. To learn more, visit enrichmentretreat.com.